Well, welcome. This is WNZN Radio coming to you once again from Lorain, Ohio. Very happy that you all tuned in. 89.1 FM. And like I always say, if you're having any problem with the signal, depending on how far you get out from our range, uh, we find it just uh, easier just to live stream it on your iPad, your phone, or I use Electro, David. You know, it really yes, works right. Really works good. And so, again, we're just grateful to have the station, and we have to get these different messages out over the past months. But it, it seems like, David, I'm here again with my good friend David Abood. And, David, uh, yeah, we've great had to a be lot here, of man. interesting guests on, literally from around the world since <clears throat> yes, we uh, January 1, have we not? From uh, incredible. Yeah, a ton of missionaries from Africa. Um, we've had folks from Belgium. Macedonia, it's just been absolutely fantastic. And even yeah. special projects going yes. on here in the right. States. And mm-hmm. uh, once again, we have a very, very special guest on. I'm, I'm just honored that uh, President McNulty would be able to take time out of his busy schedule as president of Grove City College. And so without further ado, I, I'm just going to turn it over to my uh, friend Tristan Abood, who's David's son, who is a senior <laughs> yep. at Grove City. You're going to get these connections in a minute. Right. But, uh, <clears throat> and so, Tristan, uh, you're there at uh, on campus, and you're going to do the introduction of uh, President McNulty, and we're just going to run from there. Yes, sir. Yeah, okay, looking Thank forward you. to it. Thank you, sir. I hope everybody online can hear us. Um, all right, so here, it, his intro is, it's my pleasure to introduce the ninth president of Grove City College, the Honorable Paul J. McNulty. President McNulty is a 1980 graduate of the college where he studied history, religion, and pre-law. Prior to returning to his alma mater, McNulty spent over 30 years in Washington, D.C. as an attorney in public service and private practice. In 2005, the United States Senate unanimously offered Mr. McNulty to a position of Deputy Attorney General, the second in command at the U.S. Department of Justice and the Chief Operating Officer at the department's, of the department's 100,000 employees. He also served in 2001 to 2005 as the U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Virginia and was a leader in our nation's response to the terrorist attacks of September 11th. In addition, Mr. McNulty worked for more than 10 years as a senior attorney in the U.S. Congress, including as Chief Counsel and Director of Legislative Operations for the House of Majority Leader and Chief Counsel for the House Subcommittee on Crime. From 2007 to 2014, Mr. McNulty led the global corporate compliance and investigations practice for Baker McKenzie, one of the world's largest law firms. He is a co-founder of Faith and Law, a bipartisan Capitol Hill study group focusing on the relationship between Christianity and public policy. He also sits on the board of trustees of the Trinity Forum and serves as chairman of the Getty Music Foundation. In 2007, President McNulty received an honorary doctorate degree from the college. He also received the college's Alumni Achievement Award in 1998 um, President McNulty, thank you so much for coming on. We're so so excited to have you. So, well, thank you very much. much. Thanks for the introduction, Tristan. It's been an absolute joy to get to know Tristan uh, during these last four years. I'll certainly miss him greatly when he graduates here in one <laughs> month. But um, I don't think I've had any student in the uh, now almost nine years that I've been president who has been as intentional as Tristan when it comes to wanting to grow in his faith and to learn how he can better serve the Lord in his life, and so it's been a real joy to uh, uh, be a part of your life, Tristan. Thank you. Well, President McNulty, once again, we welcome you, and uh, thank you for taking time, and I know all our listeners are going to be very interested in your life, in your story, in your career, and uh, the lives you've touched, and the, the country you served, and now at the university, so thank you again for taking this time, and uh, as we said a little bit earlier, if you would just share a little about your life story, maybe 
uh, where you grew up, how you grew up, how you came to become a believer as a Christian, how that influenced your life, and then we'll just take it from there. And David, I want you to then sure. chime in. And then <clears throat> Tristan, of yeah. course, uh, you may have questions and perspective as right. a student right there. You might want to. So once again, uh, we're going to just turn it over to you, President McNulty. And thank you. Thank you very much for being part of our show today. You're very welcome, John and David. Thank you for letting me uh, be a guest. Sure. I look forward to this conversation. Well, I grew up in a sort of blue-collar, middle-class neighborhood in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, and my parents were devout Catholic parents, and they made sure that I got to church every Sunday. And <laughs> I uh, went through all the different uh, sacramental stages and so forth throughout the uh, years, um, and the significance of that was I never doubted, I recall, um, the essential facts of, uh, of the gospel. Um, I never uh, had a question in my mind uh, that um, Jesus was the Son of God and that um, uh, he suffered on the cross and uh, rose again. But um, it wasn't until I got to high school uh, until I, I really understood what that meant for me personally that it just wasn't a sort of a set of extraordinary facts, but it really was something that would transform my own heart. And I was involved in young life in high school, and my older sister um, had come to um, a personal faith in Christ and shared with me what that was all about. And I recall very distinctly in the summer before my sophomore year of high school, praying that um, that Christ would be my Savior, and that I would um, know Him in that way. And from that point forward, I really did sense that there was something different about my life. Um, I was unfamiliar with most of what Scripture had to say, and, and um, a blank slate when it came to theology and so forth, but my heart really was inclined in a new way. And uh, I was a long-distance runner. I ran cross-country, and I ran the mile and the two mile in track back in the days when they called them the mile and the two miles, <laughs> uh, which dates me. Um, but, um, and so Grove City College uh, sent some letters recruiting me to come and run. And I really didn't have Grove City um, on my mind. In fact, in those days, in the 1970s, the steel industry was booming in Pittsburgh and um, the majority of my very large high school graduating class didn't even go on to college. And college was something that um, I wasn't as focused on as, I mean, I knew I'd go somewhere somehow, but I wasn't just sure what it would be. But anyway, in God's wonderful providence, um, Grove City reached out. My father and I took a trip up to Grove City. We thought it looked like a wonderful place to go to school, and I uh, signed up. And within the matter of uh, first few weeks, taking a course on Christian worldview and scripture, a required course in those days, um, I would say probably by the end of September, I was completely hooked mm. in thinking about my life in a new way, thinking about the God's Word, thinking about um, how all things held together and and, um, and the purpose that uh, we're called to um, as followers of Christ. And the next four years of my time as a student were truly transformative as I try to soak in everything I can get my hands on relating to um, scripture and theology and uh, um, and really be thinking about, I wanted to go to law school, but I was really thinking that I wanted to be um, a Christian lawyer, not just a lawyer who happened to be a Christian. So that was how it all got started. 
Boy, quite a background. So yeah. you were born and raised in Pittsburgh, and you weren't that far from Grove City then, right, President McNulty? That's right. Just an hour or so south of uh, here. I was actually in the South Hills of Pittsburgh, so the highways weren't quite the way they are today. So I had probably about an hour and a half to get here. But, okay. Yeah, no, not, not very far away. And far enough to, not, um, um, to feel independent. And, of course, in those days, um, decades before smartphones, um, I only communicated with my parents on rare occasions, so <laughs> I. Uh, but it was, but it was nice to be able to get home when I when I needed to for whatever reason. Nice, nice. nice. Yeah, and, and then President McNulty, if you could talk a little bit about how you how you were able to maintain the focus of being a Christian lawyer, especially as you got more into politics in that role as deputy um, deputy attorney general, that must have been challenging. Sure, it was it was very challenging. I think um, to start with, when I went off to law school, I um, was very committed to this idea that even though I was pursuing a career in law, I first and foremost wanted to um, uh, understand what it meant to be a Christian in any calling in life, and um, and that that was foundational and non-negotiable as far as how I would. Um, look at the world, um, how I would pursue um, my life, you know, in my family and my church. So I think the first step in anybody trying to be a Christian in a various vocation is to, um, you know, know very clearly who they are in Christ and to be committed to that as a first priority and then to be um, pursuing success with that as um, the the basics, the, the foundation for what comes next. So when I got to Washington and I got to Capitol Hill, my first job was working on House Representatives for the Ethics Committee, which was responsible for overseeing congressional misbehavior and, and uh, ethics rules. Um, you know, I thought, well, I'm a Christian doing these things. I'll make sure that the members of Congress are following the rules. I'll investigate <laughs> misbehavior uh, with integrity. And now I ran to a lot of people who thought that wasn't a great idea and uh, <laughs> wanted to try to yeah. you know, steer me off of that. But I just felt, well, there wasn't really any room for me to think otherwise. I was plugged in immediately to a good church. I have a fantastic, I have a fantastic wife for 42 years. I got married in the chapel here at the campus, um, and, um, you know, she's always been my partner in thinking about uh, that core commitment and shares it with me. And so, um, you know, the two of us just uh, were pretty resolved in how we were going to manage these conflicts and, and challenges that came up. Now, I think it's important, you know, David and John, to be wise in these circumstances. So I didn't look for um, you know, a meltdown fight on Capitol Hill or the Department of Justice. I try to treat people, everyone, with respect. I try to, um, you know, communicate in such a way that one people's um, uh, respect. And 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 when I, you know, I, I was in situations where my commitments were challenged, just to stand my ground, but do so with as much humility. Um, as possible, and the Lord was pleased to bless that. Um, not everybody is um, blessed that same way. Some people have to take stands and pay a high price for it. In my case, um, I found that people generally um, 
respected my um, commitments. In fact, I would say that many admired the fact that I had um, my priorities oriented a certain way, and I found that I was affirmed. And there were some people I was around, um, such as President Bush, uh, George W. Bush, and some others who, you know, really agreed with my priorities and, and, and affirmed me in what I was about. So um, there were hard days. There were challenging times. I'm sure I, I missed out on some opportunities, and, um, and I might have been looked down on by others. But all in all, I felt like the Lord really prospered me by um, putting him as my top priority. Yeah. Thank you. Um, if anybody's just tuned in, we have a very special guest today on WNZN Radio. This is President Paul McNulty of Grove City College, which is not that far over the Ohio border. Right, David? Yeah. Ago, I think it's a two-hour drive. It's from less Cleveland. than two hours from, two hours. from Cleveland. Yeah. So maybe somebody listening to this might be interested in uh, kind of doing a little search about Grove City. It's a great college. I've been down there several times and um, just very, very happy to have uh, President McNulty. Uh, President McNulty, just a follow-up question on that. What, in Washington, were you able to be part of fellowships or any kind of um, groups that, you know, that uh, would strengthen your faith, you know, your uh, Christian fellowship, as well as the church that you belong to? Yes, yeah, as I said, that was um, a critically important part of being able to uh, manage those 30-plus years in D.C., and as Tristan read in my bio, when I first got to Capitol Hill in 1983, I looked around for some other Christians who were working on the Hill, and I um, formed a, a, a fellowship group called Faith and Law. And essentially what we did was we got together about every two weeks, and we read articles and books together and talked about it over lunch, uh, what it was that, um, or how a Christian um, approached the the. the public policy and political arena, what were the kinds of things that we could look to as role models um, and um, ways of thinking that would honor Christ in that, um, in that place. It was mostly just Capitol Hill staffers, people who worked for members of Congress and committees. And uh, we organized it formally, got a 501, you know, 501c3 status, and um, well, the organization is going to celebrate its 40th um, anniversary in June, and wow. so we get to go back. And, yeah, isn't that great? That and is now wonderful. Does, yeah, yeah. There's hundreds of Capitol staffers who now participate in faith and law. Faith so and law. It, it, yeah, faith and law. So it was a um, an effort to do just as you mentioned of to kind of find fellowship in that workplace. Now at the same time. I was I got plugged into the church um, as quickly as possible, and um, uh, by 1986 I was elected elder at uh, McLean Presbyterian Church, um, a PCA church in Northern Virginia. And from that point on, from 1986 until 2014, when I came to Grove City as president, I served as a ruling elder nonstop, <laughs> which was a long stretch. I could have used a break in there multiple times, but there were no. They didn't believe in breaks in my church. So um, I uh, ended up uh, having, you know, that as a very major commitment, which um, I'm so thankful for looking back because that by having uh, the responsibility, um, it kept me more accountable. It kept me accountable in terms of how my family prioritized things, 
very practical things about how we used our time on Sundays and so forth. Um, and by the way, that's just a small point I'll make real quickly. Um, I made a, made a point of not working on Sunday in Washington, and I had some jobs at times where that was more challenging. Um, I'll never forget Bill Barr, who was uh, President Trump's attorney general, but also he was President George H.W. Bush's attorney general. So he was attorney general for the first time in the early 90s. And I was his right-hand man uh, when he was attorney general for the first time. I was the director of policy and communications for him. Uh, I was his spokesperson. And he was scheduled to go on one of the Sunday morning shows in 1992. And I was responsible for prepping him for that show, and I had to make sure that he could anticipate all the, you know, kind of meet the press type questions he was going to get and everything. And so the last thing he said to me on Saturday after our final prep session was, well, what time are you picking me up tomorrow morning for the show? (laughs) And I I said, I'm not picking you up. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm not coming with you. (laughs) And he said, what do you mean I'll come with you? I said, well, I'm going to go to church. I said, I don't go to, I don't work on Sundays if I can help it, and I don't watch it. Sunday morning news shows. I go to church. <laughs> and he looked at me stunned for yeah. a few minutes. Like, right. how could you possibly? But then he sort of went, huh, okay. And that was it. From That's that good. point forward, he always, okay. he always knew, well, you yeah. won't be around way on Sunday. You, you go to church. That's good. Anyway, but it's funny how little things sometimes can matter more. And um, we, we felt grounded. And mm-hmm. I'll, I'm sorry it takes so long to answer this question. That's all right. But no. I'll just want to I want to say one more thing about family. Another priority, of course, is family. And yeah. um, people often ask me, well, how did you manage giving working in Washington, all those long commutes and so forth, and we had four kids? How did you manage to, um, you know, kind of raise your family or be the head of the household as a father and so forth at the same time? And it was hard. I mean, there were many, many missed meals. My wife and I called them the cellophane suppers because she put cellophane <laughs> over my plate as the rest of the family would eat, and I'd get there at 9 or 10 o'clock and have my dinner. But one, one um, factor in all that was I loved my family, and I didn't, I didn't look for ways to be away from them. I looked for ways to be with them so that whatever came up, if, if, if there was a when you work on Capitol Hill, for example, there are a lot of receptions in the evening, and I worked for the majority leader at one point, and mm. we were always having lobbyists bring food in, and it was quite a long evening. And as soon as I knew the house was done with its business, and I didn't have any more responsibilities, and it was just about staying around and talking and eating, I would leave, and everybody would say, where are you going? And I'd say, well, I have a family at <laughs> dinner, and I'd rather, I'd rather be with them than with you guys. <laughs> And, uh, you know, they were sort of like, wow, that's unusual. <laughs> what, what, what planet are you from? Yeah, right. And, um, right? And so anyway, we, but that was because I loved being with my family. I didn't, I would rather be with them than being with a bunch of lobbyists yeah. and staffers on the Hill. Right? There's so sure. anyway, that's, that's good. A lot of the times it comes down to just the commitments that we make in life and making sure that we, as the scriptures say, we hold fast to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen to that. Well, you, you touched on it a little bit, President McNulty, but what in your life holds the most value and how have you been able to operate, especially given you know your workload with your family? And I'm thinking selfishly about my son right now who's about to get married. So um, I'm asking the question for him and some of these younger listeners too. 
Well, obviously, you know, it, it starts with our faith. We, we have to hold fast to that beyond, even more than any of our worldly commitments. So as much as I love my wife and my children, now my grandchildren, um, and I want to make sure I put a plug in for my grandchildren. <laughs> I, have, uh, I have four of them, four of them and, one, and one more on the way. Yeah, um, wow. But uh, as much as I love them dearly, um, you know, if I, I have to love Christ more. And, and, and so it starts there. It starts with that. But, it, but of course, as we all know, uh, by loving Christ more, I'm better at loving my family. And so um, I'm not mm-hmm. taking anything away in my devotion to my family and my work by putting God first. I actually bring more to those things by doing that. Um, but that's certainly where it all starts. And so I, you know, I value learning uh, the Word. I love reading um, uh, commentaries and, 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 and books on, on faith, and, and um, uh, I've always had a, a strong interest in that. So that helps just to be um, you know, more deeply rooted. Uh, but at the same time, uh, my great joy in life um, has been, continues to be my family. I have three daughters. Um, we, my wife and I lost our son to cancer when he was 26 years old. Oh, and and that loss, that. Yeah. yeah, it was, you know, that loss, that was 10 years ago. And wow. that could have, you know, that shakes a lot of families. And yes. in our case, my wife and I actually have grown closer together through the shared suffering, but also the shared uh, experience of God's comfort and with a, and a clear hope of our son being with Christ because he had a very strong profession of faith. And so um, we've had a rough journey in life. It's not been a smooth ride between mm-hmm. that and, and some really challenging things in, in Washington life, especially. And even now, I'm, it's not a smooth ride here uh, as a college president. But um, the Lord's always been faithful. Mm-hmm. And Amen. that's been something that I've I can see over and over again. I have no doubt. My, I sometimes say that you know if we we're playing a poker game, um, our chips have to be all in. Mm. You know, you have to push the pile forward when it comes to following God because uh, He is faithful to us, and and we need to trust that. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. President McNulty, um, besides the Bible, can you name uh, two or three books that really influenced your life? That stand well, I can think out. Back to, yeah, when I was Tristan's age, <laughs> and I was uh, first getting my hands on things, I would say J.I. Packer's "Knowing God" mm. was really, really instrumental in um, helping me to understand the character of God in a more theological and you know, deeply foundational way. Um, and then in the '80s, I spent a lot of time reading R.C. Sproul. Okay, I I, I benefited greatly from his accessible theological ways of communicating. And um, so I, I, um, I deeply appreciated works by um, Sproul. I read a good bit of John Piper, too, and um, uh, continue to read uh, other Packer things. So um, there have been a handful of um, more contemporary theologians who I have followed um, some John Stott. Um, He was instrumental. Um, Now I'm a very big um, Tim Keller 
um, fan, and I'm reading a book on forgiveness that he um, wrote uh, recently, and that's been really beneficial. Um, and um, so, I guess just a, a, a variety of of books. Also, there's been a time in my life, in fact, continually for uh, probably a few decades now, where I've read some of the Puritan writers a good bit, like Jonathan Edwards, okay. um, and and their great works. Um, those have been very valuable. Um, Edwards has a book called Charity and Its Fruits, which has um, been formative in my life. Excellent. Um, now, kind of transition a little. What was it like going from Washington, D.C. and everything that's going on there in the political environment to Grove City College in an educational uh, you know, venue there? What was that like? Yeah. <laughs> well, a couple of quick points. One is be um, my commute went from one hour to one minute. Uh, that was helpful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right, right. <laughs> I live on campus and right down the street here, so that's uh, Washington, D.C. traffic is something I don't miss. Um, also, um, Tristan mentioned that I was um, involved in the post-9-11 attack prosecution, so for about four and a half, five years, I oversaw the prosecution of the 9-11 conspiracy. Zach uh, Zacharias Massawi was our um, primary defendant there, and in that prosecution of Massawi, um, we had a team that um, was yeah, involved in that for a long stretch. And now my um, our bedroom window is about 50 yards from 250 freshman guys, and I often oh say goodness. that I... I miss the quiet days of prosecuting terrorists. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> but seriously, but seriously you're, uh, as far as your question goes, I mean, it was a steep learning curve. In fact, in some ways it still is. Uh, there's so much that's going on in higher ed that is unique and distinctive from what I have done in my past. There are some transferable skills, um, risk management and um, strategic planning, things like that, that help a lot. But at the end of the day, there's still a lot uh, that had to be learned. I sat on the board of trustees for 10 years before yeah. I became president. So I had yeah. a familiarity with the college's okay. issues. And I chaired the um, enrollment committee um, as the on the board. And, and that's, you know, focused on admissions issues. So when I stepped into this job, I was pretty up, well up to speed on some of the challenges that schools face on the admissions front. Um, so um, it's been a big adjustment. It was an adjustment in our personal lives because we had so many friends, uh, our church life and so forth down in D.C. We had to leave that to come back. It wasn't like coming back to western Pennsylvania where we were raised and where, in fact, where we met. And so uh, we've enjoyed that. Um, but uh, I would say that Looking back now, after you know nearly nine years, that the privilege of being involved in students' lives, just the opportunity to be impactful there, is really special. And mm -hmm. I feel as though what we're upstream in culture here, uh, that what we're doing on this campus, uh, in many ways, influences what happens downstream in political life and public affairs and Washington mm -hmm. and so forth. Right. right. And, and while we're only dealing with 2,000 students at one time, the, the opportunity to at least be form, having an impact in forming the hearts and minds of 2,000 students in a world that has 
as many challenges as it does today, is um, a very meaningful calling. And so it's a different calling, but I was happy to um, step away from uh, Washington. I think I got away from Washington, frankly, uh, at an ideal time because it's become a much more divisive world than when I worked there. And, um, and I find that this environment is very constructive and positive and um, a great opportunity to um, impact things for the good. Okay. You know, uh, President McDulty, you mentioned uh, traffic in Washington, D.C. Somebody said at rush hour they call it a, a slow-moving parking lot. Does that sound right? <laughs> <laughs> That's certainly true. So, That's certainly um, true. For the sake of our, our listeners, could you give us a little overview, a snapshot of Grove City College? What makes that unique in, in so many special ways, just for our listeners? Because there might be some that are going to be interested sure. to do some follow-up. Yeah, right. Well, Grove City College actually has a number of distinctives that really do set it apart from pretty much all of higher education. So the simple facts are we're located at Western Pennsylvania, an hour north of Pittsburgh, right at the intersection of Interstate 80 and Interstate 79, um, and to your listeners, you know, we're um, about, uh, what, Tristan, uh, 30 minutes or so from Youngstown and yes. maybe 40, yes. and then you're into Ohio. So we're in a pretty nice location to serve um, a region in um, Northeast Ohio, Western Pennsylvania, but our students, about 50% of them come from outside of Pennsylvania, so we have a pretty much a national, um, a national student body. Uh, we have 2,000 plus, um, you know, about 2,100 uh, fully residential students. So we, our students live on campus for four years. There's really not much yep. living off campus. Um, it's a it's intentional community. We want our students to live together wow. and flourish together uh, in these dormitories and uh, and you know eat together and play together and engage together. Mm. So it's um, mm. it it's special to see what that does in their lives when they are able to uh, really stay connected for a sustained period of time. Um, the school is known for its um, uh, relative low cost in higher education for the high quality that the college enjoys right. in terms of its rankings and so forth. We are just over 30,000 all-in tuition room and board, which is well below um, the price of a high-quality private college in the country today. We also don't take any federal funds, which means we have an independence that is truly um, unique. I mean, uh, Hillsdale and just a few others um, are in the same category, but right. by not taking any federal funds, it means when the Department of Education comes down with a new idea they want to force on schools and use the money they receive to make them accept a change in policy mm -hmm. or mission, we don't have to comply with that um, because we don't accept those federal funds. Yep. So we have um, a value of independence that is um, very precious to us and allows us to stay on our mission. We're a Christian college. And by that, we are intentionally, purposefully Christ-centered, and we try to um, build that out, express that in everything we do from the classroom to the dorm room, uh, to the playing field, the performance hall, everywhere we are on campus, we think about what it means to honor Christ in that situation. Um, so uh, we have a beautiful campus too, that's probably the last distinctive that anybody who comes here 
if nothing else, they say, wow, what a beautiful place. Mm, yeah, uh, sure. and yes. very, uh, that's an intentional thing, too. We believe that God made us for a place. Um, he put uh, the, you know, Adam and Eve <laughs> in a garden, and he called his people into the land, along <laughs> with milk and honey. We believe that God prospers our students by being on a beautiful campus and that they, uh, it contributes to that, uh, the richness and the depth of the community. So that's important to us. So those are the things that um, are pretty unusual in the world of higher ed today. We're conservative um, and uh, we um, embrace conservative traditional values and, um, and our students are very supportive of that as well. Yeah. Well, you know, President McNulty, uh, the, the three main criteria I used when assessing colleges, you know, I became a Christian probably now uh, about, I would say, 12 to 14 years ago uh, well, when I became a Christian. I was raised Roman Catholic, and uh, it was a game changer when I was able to connect with John, and he took me under his wing, and, uh, you know, the rest now is history. I never thought I'd be doing a weekly Christian radio show, but, but three of the top things were uh, no federal funds, Christian College, and the campus was beautiful. I graduated from Kenyon College, and my wife, Marilyn, said to me, I got to tell you, this rivals Kenyon when we first looked at it. So that was number two. Number three was the Princeton Review accreditations for the top 10 career placement center in the country. Yeah. Yeah, that was a quite, that's been quite an honor for us to yeah. be uh, ranked by Princeton Review so many times, and they're looking at all schools, not yes. just Division three or small schools. So right. mm-hmm. we um, we were ranked uh, this year as number four, I wow. believe. In um, it was very hard. yeah, and we wow. also have ranked the top twenty four internships, which is yep. a subset of that as well. So yep. we that's been something we've emphasized. It's sort of like in football, you know, some coaches will have very strong special teams. It's mm-hmm. just something they do. Um, we we make it a point here on our career services side to do that with uh, a great energy mm. and it's paid off in the way in which our students appreciate it mm. and um, and how we've been reviewed on that. Yes, Thanks absolutely. Yeah, sure. So, you know, how do you continue to grow, stay motivated and develop as a Christian leader? Well, um, I don't think that the game plan changes from the one that I've been able to um, follow along the way over the years. That is to be regular in um, my time with the Lord and reading something that's profitable for my soul uh, continuously. So I just pay attention to growth personally, um, and it can be in you know at different times. Uh, reading through the Psalms or reading, um, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, which is where my journey has been the last uh, couple of years. But um, uh, so that's number one. Um, uh, Again, being as um, faithful and hearing the word preached in church, which is um, a critically important way in which we grow through the means of grace by uh, that word coming to us in that context and so that's what has been beneficial for my spiritual life um, continuously. Um, I have the privilege of being in an environment where I'm surrounded by uh, 
um, brothers and sisters who are trying to grow in their faith as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've got a great I've got a great job on Wednesdays. Uh-huh. Uh, on morning, I can go to chapel and I can worship with um, you know seven hundred fifty or a thousand students. Um, I can hear a lecture on Wednesday evening, or I can go to. So I, I have things around me that are very stimulating on a spiritual level. Um, you know, I lead a Bible study, for example, with Tristan and his brothers, um, and just preparing for that is a huge blessing for me. So when I'm asked to do something like that, I like the opportunity because it means I can grow in getting ready to help these men grow. And um, I guess that's, it's a, David, it's, it's all those things together yeah. mm-hmm. that, you know, are a part of, of Farvin. And one last thing I'd say is, um, I am very blessed to be prayed for a lot. You know, a lot of people come up to me and <laughs> say, I'm, point. I'm, like I'm praying for you, Charles McNulty. Thank you. Yeah, and there, yeah and there, are, <laughs> there are literally thousands of people who pray for the college and, and pray for me. And that's meaningful. <laughs> that, that does something. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, yeah. God, would have to be, God would have to be doing something very weird if mm. he wasn't uh, hearing and answering Prayers that he delights in from his people that yeah. that um, yeah. that you know that his that his people would be growing and so um, I it it um, whatever um, whatever strength I might be experiencing is all by grace mm-hmm. and I really see that as being um, uh, the product of a lot of faithfulness on the part of of friends. Mm-hmm of the school and friends of mine who um, know how much prayer we need. Wow. Uh, President McNulty, uh, I don't know if it's a quick question, but it's, it's been 40 years since you were a student at Grove City, if I'm doing the math right. In those yeah. 40 years, now you're back on campus <laughs> as the president. What do you see in terms of the students, the general atmosphere back then when you were a student to, to now in 2023? Can you give us just a sense wow. of an overview? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, well, first of all, I would say that today's students are better equipped intellectually, spiritually, than when I was a student. Um, and that really part of that, yeah, part of that has to do with, of course, the environment of the school attracts students today mm. in a way that it didn't back mm. in my day. In other words, the school wasn't as intentionally Christian in those days. Right. And it therefore it attracted a, a wider range of students yeah. and it had a different culture. Right. We had an off-campus um, house policy and there were parties at the houses. And <laughs> yeah. in many ways, uh, Grocery College looked like your more typical college back right. in the 70s with a chapel requirement right. thrown in. Um, and, and a number of professors who were really trying to do what they could to uh, raise the, the level of... Um, Christian um, authenticity, but still, it's a much, much fundamentally different place today than it was then. Um, all of our faculty are required to have faith, and um, and mm-hmm. students know that when they come mm-hmm. here. And so we have students who come here because they want to be at a Christian college. Right. And so, mm-hmm. as I said, they're more equipped. And I think their parents, um, of course, now I'm old enough to be their grandparents, So, but the parents of these students... Um, brought a lot of energy and effort into raising them to have talents. You know, when we have an orchestra performance, we'll have over a hundred pieces in that orchestra. And 
and you know, two thirds of the students in the orchestra will not be music majors, but they're just been playing their cello since they were right. age six, right. and they're still playing that cello, <laughs> and and that's you know that's really special, and so there's talents. Now, here's something though that's perhaps not as much an attribute, um, and I would say there might be a couple things, but one would be um, students today aren't as independent as they were when I was a student. What do you mean by that? By that I mean. Um, Today, students can lean on their parents so much more mm. and have a little bit more fearfulness mm. about what might be the risks in this mm. world as a result. Mm-hmm. We, I'm sure you could talk to not just Grove City College, but higher ed administrators generally, and they will tell you that over time, parents have been much more vocal and much more Right, involved and advocating for the students. That's definitely and true. My father and father didn't know anything that was going on in my college life, <laughs> and I joked earlier. I joked earlier about talking to them, but seriously, you know, um, we had one phone in our hall, and on Sunday night, maybe I might make a trick collect call to my parents so that they could call me back, and and we could talk for five minutes. I don't think I ever wrote a letter in four years mm-hmm. home. So you think about that. Now parents talk to their students, their children, virtually every day. Yep. We have students who are constantly texting um, mom and dad, uh, especially you know daughters texting moms, you name it. Yep. Um, that's an entirely different situation. And so that does create a certain amount of dependence and, um, and makes students a little more fragile. Um, here's another interesting fact. When my daughter was a student here, she graduated in 2007, so she's almost 40 years old now. Um, when she was a student in 2007, she had developed a mild eating disorder. There were no counselors. She, they were, finally, the college got one counselor. Huh. When she was a senior, she, she had talked to that counselor, mm-hmm. and it actually was enormously helpful for her and resolved the issue pretty quickly. Good. Today, we have six to eight yep. full-time counselors. And they're all free. They're all free, and they're very busy. <laughs> That's my point. They're very busy. There's, our students avail themselves of counseling, and, and, and I'm not saying it's a problem in itself. I mean, I'm, I'm glad we can do that. My point, though, is that need is there. Yeah. And in a way, it wasn't before. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And that is what we're dealing with in today's world. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot more stress, a lot more anxiety. I think it's because students are talented. They, have, they put a lot of pressure on themselves. And let's face it. Social media has changed everything. Yeah, true. Yeah. Social media has become um, a, a incredible um, challenge for students because, as one well-known psychologist puts it, it's the compare and despair syndrome. They yeah. compare their lives to others and they despair, despair. that they and are not as good or mm-hmm. as popular or as like many that. friends and so forth. And um, we didn't have Facebook Thank the Lord, and um, that's uh, what makes um, the world of higher education uh, so much more um, uh, uh, challenging than it has been in the past. Mm-hmm. Thank you, yeah. David. So, um, yeah, I have a couple more questions before we wrap up. So, what is the most dangerous thing leaders should be wary of, President McNulty? And in the leader category, I have fathers, executives, entrepreneurs and political executives like yourself? Okay, so this question is, what are the most um, 
Dangerous uh, things leaders should be wary of. Well, when you're in a position of authority. So when you're in a position of authority, what have you seen from the you know deputy uh, attorney general role to now president of uh, Grove City and even as the uh, leader of your family? Well, I suppose the um, most, the highest uh, concern has to do with um, a, a sufficient foresight in being able to measure risk. I like mm-hmm. that. You know, we, we manage risk from the moment we wake up in the morning, from, you know, how we avoid stubbing our toe to the last thing we do before we go to bed and setting our alarm. We're always managing risk. Right. And, and some risks are just so easy to manage, but other risks are really, really difficult to manage. And leaders have to know risk and then have to ask, how are we managing that risk? Go put yourself in my position right now. Think about what's my greatest risk as the president of Grove City College? Well, an active shooter would be an example. Right, mm-hmm. right. And um, so how has the college managed that risk? And if you don't have a good answer to that question, you better get one fast because that's the world we live in today. Right. Um, how about gender, ide- gender ideology? How yep. are we managing risk, right? Mm. Um, so so there, there are risks, different environments, different situations. When I was Deputy Attorney General, um, uh, the reason why that job was just so stressful was I was overseeing, as Tristan said in the bio, a, yeah. a Department of Justice with over 100,000 employees wow. that involved the FBI's. Yeah. I used to joke and say, you know the problem with my job is most of my employees carry guns. That there's certain fact that I have to, I oversee um, people arresting bad people every day. Yes. Um, and so you're you're always you know risks change from one thing. All right. One of the, one of the jobs I had along the way was to um, I led the transition for from pre- President Clinton to President Bush. So mm. nineteen uh, so two thousand right the two thousand election and. January 20th, 2001, um, President Bush is sworn into office. At 12.01, now the, the new government under President Bush is responsible for everything. And at Department of Justice, we had to be ready to manage the risk at 12.01. Yeah. And at, there, was a, there was a standoff going on in Indiana. There were terrorist threats. Those things all became our problem. And I was responsible for overseeing that at that minute. And I learned through that experience just what it meant to take on risk and ask yourself, are we managing it well? So that's right. the challenge that leaders have. Is mm-hmm. In a family, it can be something as simple as who Hank, your kids are hanging out with. Uh, it, it can be your, uh, you know, something in your neighborhood. But you have to have the foresight to see. And I know in my life I've missed it. There are things when I look back on mm. biggest regrets or mistakes, mm. they go back to, you know what? I didn't foresee that problem the way I should have been able to see. Oh, it. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Pastor McNulty, do you President. see? I'm sorry, President. <laughs> are you a pastor too? Yeah, yeah, you're, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you are. Yeah, you're, you're, you're I wish. All right, I, I wish. <laughs> President, President McNulty, um, in terms of Christian worldview, the student today and the climate today, compared to I don't know back then when you were a student, is it more? 
solid today? Is it is it less the Christian worldview? Many many are saying, you know, there's there's gaps and holes in that in terms of, you know, how we view the Bible or the deity of our Lord Jesus and on and on. What what's your sense of it with your wide range of background and experience? Well, um, on the good side, I would say that in a small sense, that is in the specific context of Grove City College, I see a stronger worldview among our students than I experienced. I see um, a greater knowledge of the word. But that's, that's very limited, I think, to this environment. I think larger culturally, we have um, degraded, not improved in these areas. So I don't think that... Um, there's as much biblical literacy as there has been. I think that um, uh, worldview is um, probably uh, challenged in a number of ways. Now, one thing we can say clearly is that there's a greater divide culturally, and as a result of that, um, there is a uh, perhaps a greater appreciation for uh, the importance of knowing the Word and so we could be experiencing right now um, something of a, of, a, of a renewal with regard to those who are um, uh, seeing the um, problems that exist. They're seeing the, um, the attacks upon uh, biblical values, and they're trying to reinforce their own um, understanding. And so there, there may be a couple of different things going on at the same time. Okay. Um, but I, I am concerned that um, we um, have uh, perhaps gotten away from, in the largest context, um, a more a, a dedication to uh, knowing the Scriptures and having a solid theology that will help us in all of the different circumstances we find ourselves. Okay, thank yeah. you. Yeah, I always thought the three institutions of spiritual formation is the family, the church, and the school. And when those are working together in some harmony, it, it tends to really, you know, have some really positive results. Um, before we wrap up, we only have a couple minutes left. Tristan, do you have a question or a point you wanted to ask President McNulty? Um, well, President McNulty has actually answered a lot of my questions. I think the favorite question that I've ever asked him, though, um, I'd say it actually came down to what was your biggest regret. Um, for, so for future students out there, I suppose, what would you say would be your biggest regret was from when you went to Grove City College prior? And you, you talked about risks that you didn't foresee. What was one thing that, um, that you wish you had done differently back when you went to college? Back when I went to college, yeah. Well, College is very unique time, and I think students appreciate that, but I'm not sure if you can appreciate it enough in terms of, mm. of the opportunity that exists to um, be fortified for yeah. your life call. Right. And I think the learning part of college can actually get shortchanged because there's always so much going on. Yep. Uh, you want to be intentional about friendship. You want to be uh, taking advantage of... Um, opportunities to engage our students, as I said earlier, kind of engage very right. well. Right. But as I've grown old, I have seen how important um, basic lessons um, of, you know, insight and, and great ideas and so forth that 
really come to you or have an opportunity to come to you while you're in college. Really? Yeah. That those are just the years to learn. It's almost like, you know, I had this illustration of my father fought in the Battle of Bulge in World War II, and he, his whole division arrived just wow. before December 16th, 1944, when the Bulge, when the Battle of Bulge began. And in one day, um, 25% of his division was killed or wounded. Wow. That was like 4,000 out of 16,000 wow. men. And my father wrote a diary um, about this experience. And in it, he said, I'm thankful for every day of boot camp I had because it's kept me alive. Because wow. he, he realized yeah. that he, yeah. the training he received actually had value yeah. to save himself and the guys in his battery. Uh, they had an artillery battery yes. and they were you know, right in the middle of um, the action. Um, he was later wounded, but he survived that day. And I remember reading that and thinking, what a great way to talk about um, the preparatory moments of our lives. Yeah, that's good. Think that I need to be equipped for mm. what's happening. Mm. So I don't think you can learn too much in college. That's the bottom line. Yeah. And I think you just have to have discipline. And I wish I had more discipline when I was a student. And I wish I had learned more uh, during this yeah. window of um, you know time that's so unique. Yeah. No, thank you very much, President McNulty. And if anybody out there is uh, interested in Grove City College, how can they learn more about uh, about? Well, you know, the best way to know is just go to uh, www.gcc.edu. Uh, just go to our website because Grove City has a great website with so much information. Yeah. And you can spend hours there reading about the professors and the various majors and all the different activities, yeah. all the distractions. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, and really come away with a... I mean, we're intentional about what we say there. We we work hard at trying to communicate the things we've been talking about for the last right. five minutes. Right. And so it's uh, that's the place to begin before you get a chance to come in. See the beautiful campus. Absolutely. Uh, right. Absolutely. Well, President McNulty, once again, we are very, very grateful that you took time out of your yes, very busy thank you, schedule. President McNulty. For this interview. And your life just speaks of godly influence. It seems like wherever you went whatever career or capacity position you were in, it's just your influence to bring glory to God and, and uh, his kingdom. And, and we just so appreciate that. And we just thank God for you. And I'm sure the students feel the same way. And I've been to Grove City. It's a beautiful campus. And uh, you and Tristan have something in common, too. You both met your wives there, I guess, is what the deal is. Maybe that's... Oh, <laughs> that is true. That's yeah. City, I will say, Mr. Murtha, it's got a very high ratio of students that come in here single and come out. Wow. Come out oh, terrific. Right, right. Okay. Well, but thank well, you for those kind words. God bless you, President McDulty. This is WNCN Radio from Lorain, Ohio. All these shows are archived. And you can go to john1421.com. This show will be archived as well as probably live uh, this Saturday. Uh, usually we do it the following mm -hmm. Saturday. Yep. So, David, do you have any closing notes? No. Uh, thanks again, President McNulty. Thanks, Tristan, for helping organize, and we look forward to uh, talking to you soon. Uh, hope to see you at graduation. You. Yes. Thank Take you. care. Appreciate it. Have a great day. God bye bless bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.